Welcome to my teenage self, Love, Anna, Gadi, Eric. A podcast where we talk about everything that has to do with love, friendship, being fresh generation. And today we have a we are going to start our special series called To My Undocumented Teenage Self, where we're going to highlight the stories of different undocumented youth. And our special guest for today is Eric. <laughs> and he's gonna have we're gonna talk a lot about your story we're gonna have uh just have a great conversation about what it means to be undocumented a student a child in the united states yes yeah and i think we had mentioned it to you a little bit in our part in our well previous conversation before we started but in our previous podcast we had talked a little bit about our experience as immigrant children and we were both thinking about how if we are having this podcast we should also use it to voice the the actual stories of of people who do not have the privileges that we have right because i think it's important to hear these stories and to hear the counter narratives that oftentimes aren't voiced in society yeah for sure i feel like um there's been like so many friends that I've like talked to and like they don't like um, understand the situation I'm in. And then when I bring it up, it like blows their mind in a way because they're like, dang, you have to deal with all that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm excited. Yeah, we're so excited to. I've been like daydreaming, thinking about <laughs> this. <podcast. laughs> um, definitely yeah. a passion project, I think, for us. And yes. this specifically cool. is be- it's to me, I think it's becoming like bigger than us right yeah and it's bigger than what we first thought this podcast was gonna be yeah because i think this podcast started as us telling our stories and then we had this assignment that we had to do and we're like well i mean killing two birds with one stone Mm -hmm. but then as we started to really dive into what this assignment was we felt that it was so much bigger than just like oh create this five minute video where you get a grade and then that's it yeah yeah that's cool because like it's not just like for us it's just a grade right it's Speci- like supposedly yeah. but really this is like life stories this is like mm-hmm. y- this is your lived experience yeah you know mm-hmm. and it's it's important for people to hear it yes yeah and i think this is so this is one of five different interviews and we hope to get different perspectives about what it's like to be an undocumented youth here in the united states specifically yeah and specifically sure. applying to college, mm, you mm-hmm. know, and like just your, your story in general. So what cool. is your migration story? Yeah. So when I was uh, five years old, well, my dad had came to the U.S. and then like he wanted to test it out, like see if he could find work and like make enough money to provide for the family. And mm-hmm. and so he did. And then he went back to Mexico and he told my mom, like, yeah, I think we can make it work. So then um, he moved back to the U.S. and he had uh, a few brothers already here. So he was staying with them. And so he eventually saved up to like get us all through. Um, I was very fortunate. I didn't have to go like through the, the whole like um, the Rio Grande and all that. It was like I know people who have like my parents or like my mom and my two siblings, my brother and sister had to do that. But uh, for me, it was pretty easy. Um my dad eventually like befriended someone here in the United States that had a son around my age. And so he asked him if like um, he could pass me off as his son. And so, yeah, like um, 
I do remember like them telling me like, all right, so your name is going to be Charlie. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just like ingrained it in my brain. Like your name is Charlie. If they ever ask you, your name is Charlie. And it's funny, actually, I remember like they would be like um, in Spanish, like, hey, como te llamas? And I'll be like, oh, me llamo Eric, pero en, uh, en Estados Unidos me llamo Charlie. <laughs> Um, so yeah i remember saying that and then um from what i remember like the way it happened is um we had uh, an uncle in in tijuana and then we had another one a little bit above the border um we went to tijuana and the guy like he picked us up and then um i think like if i'm being honest i think like they gave me some nyquil or something because i just like passed out i don't remember going through the actual border um, I just woke up and then we were already on the other side. Wow. Um, I think one of the hardest parts though was like, uh, like being away from my family. I remember mm-hmm. I was like at this uncle's house who I had barely like met, like my parents knew him, but I didn't. And it just felt strange being there. Um, it was a two story house and like, I always, it's like a very vivid memory. Um, like I remember, uh, getting dropped off at that house and like the first thing I started doing was just crying and it was like like yelling like it was for like two three days just that um and then eventually my dad was able to like come pick me up but yeah that's one of those stories that like not a lot of people know about that like it's in a way traumatizing you know like being away from family like that um so like that that was probably the hardest part like being away from family but as far as like crossing um the border it was like simple just like I remember just being asleep and then being already on the other side. But um, in Mexico, who did you live with? Because your your parents and your family moved first, so yeah. Uh, oh, there we have family still actually. So my grandma lives there, and they have their house. And then I have an mm-hmm. uncle who still lives there, and he he lives with my grandma. And then he has his wife and like his family now too. And then I have two aunts that live there too. So we were all living in that house, and that's the uh, side of my mom. So we were staying there for a while. Wow. And did you understand what was happening? Like that your family was moving here? Nah, I think it was just like, yeah, I just like, they were like, well, like I said, they were like, you're going to be Charlie. And, and that's what just stuck to me. But I didn't know that like I would be leaving like school or like leaving my country, you know, for like the rest of my life pretty much. Um, did you think that you were like going to come back to Mexico? Like it was a temporary thing? No, like... I, it's it's hard for me to remember it actually like because mm. i think i was so young that i didn't really understand what was happening i yeah, was just like well i'm getting moved you know and like i guess in a way like those are memories that like i look back and i'm like oh i guess that did happen but like i wasn't i don't remember them as much mm. i think i was still too young to like see what was happening wow yeah yeah but you remember going to school in mexico and like what do you remember uh well where are you from in mexico uh, Mexico City. So we were oh. like living in, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not in sure exactly what part of Mexico City, but Mexico City. And um, I, uh, I do remember going to school. Like there, there's like memories of me going to school, but it's like a little hard to remember mm-hmm. most of them. Yeah. Like I remember we had to do like uh, the, na- na- like the anthem, the Mexican na- anthem. <laughs> and like they would make us stand like in a line and then we would face the flag and then we would sing. Yeah. Wow. wow. And it's crazy that it's like it's been so long that it's like still like a core memory. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. yeah. And so you moved here when you were five and you've lived here for 
uh, now you're 27? 28. 28. Yeah. Wow. Yes. 23 years? 23 years. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Right? And it just, like, it's crazy because, like, I feel like I'm pretty much, like, from, uh, like, the U.S., but in a way I'm not, mm-hmm. um, which kind of does suck, which we're, we're going to be talking about, but, like, it, it's crazy, you know? Like, I pretty much grew up here, like, this is, in a way, also my country, too, you know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, at five, there's very few memories that I remember from before mm-hmm. five. Yeah. So I can only imagine, like, living in a country your whole life and then still not being from that country. Right. Mm. From that country, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Like exactly. So <laughs> when you got here, when you were five, you started school right away? Um. Yeah, and so... I remember I started school, like, they were already in school because I came during, like, I think, like, spring. Mm. So they're already, like, half already done with school. And um, I got enrolled, and I ended up having to repeat a grade because, like, they were, like, uh, you're not going to be able to, like, move on, like, with that. Like, first of all, you're only speaking Spanish, and um, we're already, like, halfway done. So then I ended up doing another year of, uh, it was a kindergarten yeah i ended up having to repeat kindergarten for that reason wow yeah and your siblings were how old are your siblings so my brother right now is 30 and then my other sister is 29 oh okay yeah okay wow and they they also went right into school Mm -hmm. they but the thing is like for me i came in uh, at five and then they came in like a year later so that like they waited for them to come oh wow so it was only like me and my dad living here for like almost a year yeah because he was still trying to like save up um like to get them all three because it was going to be my mom my sister and my brother all three of them at the same time wow yeah so i'm not gonna lie it was it was rough too like living in like so we we lived in in an apartment with uh some of my uh uncles and then some like roommates that like they had met here and uh yeah, I remember actually, like, being in that apartment and, like, well, my dad was always at work. And so it was either just, like, me and uncle or, like, a, one of the roommates. And um, my dad worked so much that, like, I barely got time to, like, see him, you know, because he was working so mm. much trying to, like, get my mom, my sister, and my brother here, too. Because so it's so expensive yeah. to pay for that crossing. Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know how much it was then, but I know now it's... It's too much. Like, you know, that people even, like, think about it twice. They're like, is it even worth it, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, That's that's insane. That's crazy to me, the fact. Like, I I go a week without my mom, and I'm like, fuck, ya le extraño. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, a five-year-old living for a whole year. Yes. In a completely different country. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was rough. I'm not gonna lie. It was, um, like... I think for a while, like, it was hard for me to, like, have a connection with my parents because of mm. that reason, you know? Yeah. Like, first of all, I was away with, from my mom for that long because she was in Mexico, but also, in a way, I was away from my dad because he was always working. And so, like, yeah, for many years, like, I struggled to, like, uh, have that connection with them. Um, and now it's, like, gotten better. Um, yeah. Because, like, all the support that eventually, like, they showed for me, um, which I appreciate them so much, like, they they've done a lot for like their kids and it's like one thing i look up to that 
they did so much for us and i feel like blessed to be where i am but it's mostly because of them yeah, yeah. But, i mean i mean i'm not a psychologist but i know that like when children experience that kind of trauma at such a young mm-hmm. age i mean there's some sort of abandonment yeah. issue that happens because you think you're oh, being yeah. abandoned even if you're not specifically being abandoned right. you know absolutely mm-hmm. and like i was thinking about the thing that you said where they like might have given you like benadryl to <laughs> put you to sleep i think maybe like when we go through such traumatic experiences our brain literally shuts it down so that we have some way to cope with things because even when i asked my older brother who also is undocumented about the stories his his memory about it is very vague mm. and he's like i think i think that's what it happened but i don't really remember and it's like i as a seven-year-old kid wouldn't want to remember being in a cajuela like in the back of a trunk you know or yeah. like crossing yeah. a river or like living without crossing the border with a different name yeah and living in a house where you don't know anybody, mm-hmm. yeah. your parents aren't there, you're completely alone. Like, there, there is some sort of abandonment issue that happens mm-hmm. there. Um, my aunt, when her mom, because I feel like y- your story has resonated so much with my f- my own families, you know, because yeah. my tío too. Like when he crossed, he was like, "I te vas a llamar Rodrigo," and he was like, "Okay, whatever, Rodrigo." You know, and he was like, "Cómo me llamo?" You know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. and um, so. Like that same thing that happened with my aunt when when she was like five when my when her mom came here and she was like by herself and she felt like abandoned like yeah. in a room by herself like knew that she was alone mm-hmm. you know so I can imagine that's that's what you went through you know yeah yeah, yeah. no yeah like I said it, it's rough and like that's one side of like things that like uh, or like this perspective of being undocumented that like as a child when you go through that like. Some people go through it like that, uh, that sense of abandonment, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's rough. But like I said, I think for me, I kind of like you did mention that, like how like, you you know, your brain tends to like block that out. And I feel like in a way I kind of did. Um, mm. Those were like memories that like I try not to go back to. Um, but obviously they're still there because it happened, you know. Yeah, of course. Wow. So, I mean, I can't imagine. Do you remember when you're when you finally had like your mom and your siblings all together like that i don't remember i don't remember that like actually see there's like a lot that like it's crazy you know we're like kids and you know we go through a lot and um i look back and i'm like man i look at pictures and i'm like oh yeah that did happen (laughs) but there's a lot that i don't remember it's like only like little like spots that i do remember yeah Mm. it's crazy um i do remember though like she was shocked like she didn't recognize me first like when i got here i had like long hair well and uh like it was like a mushroom cut it was (laughs) it was actually pretty funny Uh, but and like i was skinny and then i came here and like i was living with like i said my uncles and like the roommates and like these are people who are just working too you know they don't have kids they're just like trying to make a living and so they weren't like fit to like raise a kid you know because in a way that's what they were doing you know i was Mm. there the whole time and um uh they ended up shaving my head i was bald (laughs) and then they would just like feed me like fast food and like hamburgers and pizza and like you know like it wasn't healthy and so i ended up getting like fatter and then i ended up like losing all my hair and so when my mom did come she said like she lost it she was like who the hell like what do y'all do to my kid you know (laughs) yeah that's oh my god 
Yeah. But that is it's that is scary to be in a space where there's only men. Yeah. And yeah. not I mean yeah. not to say anything about the Mexican man, but you know, they're not the most nurturing sometimes. <laughs> they're not, you know. Yeah, like I said to me it felt like they were just there cuz like I mean, like it's my uncles, you know, and like mm. um they're like I mean, I have to look out for like my nephew and stuff, but yeah, you know, I feel like yeah, Latino men like most of the time do have trouble like trying to like raise a kid especially on their own you know yeah or even that emotional aspect of raising a kid that i think that's it yeah like they they i think especially like more back then it was like more of that like oh you have to be like uh, that machismo and like be Mm. like show no emotion and you have to be tough and like like they're built that way you know and so it's hard for them to build that emotion and have that emotional connection with someone because of that yeah and they're navigating being in this country too that too mm. yeah you know exactly and i mean as a child you know have you don't really have so many vivid memories of mexico but as an adult it's like the culture shock is insane mm. i mean like imagine like you just came here and then now you have to one like be with a, a kid that's not yours but also like assimilate to this country like yeah. learning the language you know there is so Find many a job so yeah. many factors yeah. and also like send money back and, and like that too, yeah there's so much that goes into that experience mm-hmm. of like an adult coming to this country oh yeah absolutely that's crazy. it's rough it, it really is um like for all those that like do choose to come here um like big ups to them because it's, it's not easy it's it's yeah. not you know and i think that's one of the things one of like the dominant narrative is like oh well they're coming here and they're stealing these jobs and they're doing it because they like wanna you know and it's like no yeah. they're leaving everything behind because they have to mm-hmm. and now they have to completely switch their lives around for yeah. jobs that pay the minimum wage or less or less less, yeah to work so many long hours where you can't see your kids Mm -hmm. and you can't have those relationships with them you have to send money home because now they think oh yes yes that's in america now you're now you can make money and send those money back yeah yeah right like there's so much that goes on yeah for sure and then like you mentioned about the jobs it's like you know they really do these jobs that like nobody wants to do you know but for them it's like well i have to you know yeah so it's it's tough man it's crazy though yeah i can imagine and your dad like yeah (laughs) i you know that's one thing i do like i think i got from him both my parents actually like that hard work and like um just like staying sticking with it you know Mm -hmm. like not giving up you just got to keep going um it's that idea of like if you want it you're gonna go get it you know and i mean i've i feel like i've done that like I just graduated, got my degree, and uh, I'm working in a field that, like, I chose, you know? And so I feel, like, very fortunate. But also, I know that a big part of it was me, too, you know? I wanted it, and I went, and I got it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) No, That idea, like, I chose, you know? Like, I chose that. Yeah. Oof. And, I mean, we want to get into, like, your career, because it's amazing. Um, But... We do have some questions about what your schooling was like, yeah. like growing up. Um, we all know, at least, or well, in California, we have something mm-hmm. called the um, a proficiency that you're supposed to be at for English. Yeah. 
right? Yes. Um, and I don't know if in other states they have that. I'm assuming they do, but I think because I, I'm assuming that it's in a lot of like uh, cities or states that have a big immigration or immigrant population. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. In California, I mean, it's it's right by a different country. I yeah. mean, it borders a different country uh, that speaks a different language. So it makes sense why. Cali- I mean, it doesn't make sense why they have it, but it makes sense that California has it. It exists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But basically, this this program is called the English Language or department or proficiency mm-hmm. program and a lot of students who are in southern california and specifically los angeles where we're located they're usually in this program yes. right and the interesting thing about this program is that when you are um first enrolled into school they give you your parents a survey and they say like do you speak a different language at home yeah and if your parent checks yes You're you automatically in there yes mm-hmm. and you have to test mm-hmm. out of it and your English has to be at a certain proficiency to be mm-hmm. able to test out of it. Yes. And so they the standard that they put you in is based on non or like um, students that only speak one language. Mm. So a lot of it is like in, like students that only speak English. And that's so they test them and they're like, OK, they are at this level. So everybody else has to reach their level yeah. in order to test out. But it's a monolingual test given to bilingual children, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is like giving a drummer one drumstick versus another drummer two. Right. Exactly. Because they're like taking half of your language repertoire away Mm -hmm. when you only can speak English. Oh, I mean, I feel like I can do a whole episode on this test because of how fucked up I think it is. But it's the point where one of the sections is a speaking section and as I graded this test in, in middle school kids. And one of the things is, well, if you just can't understand them, give them a one. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's like, oh, if you have an accent, Ooh. yeah, it's not good enough. Yeah. Right. And so we wanted to ask you, like, as, as an immigrant, do you remember being in this experience? Do you remember if they put you part of the ELD program? Cause I think I was in it, but I don't even remember. Mm. And I like, reclassified in elementary school okay yeah well like Annalise mentioned it you know um i just remembered yeah like they at the beginning of the year they like give you like um a survey and one of those questions is that like do you speak a different language at home and if you get you check yes then you get put in that program and i remember being in that program actually and the way it worked was like i had like regular classes and then during like um like for an hour they would like pull me away and then we would work on like the reading and like writing and like Mm. you said make making sure that i was able to be at that level that they wanted us to be um but like we we kind of talked about it like uh before the podcast that it's like in a way they're trying to like make you forget your other language and like for you to focus on this new one but in a way it is kind of fucked up you know like at home the only language i was speaking was spanish and now, like, um, I have to learn English and, like, I have to learn it at a level where, like, it's proficient enough. And it's, like, you know, at the same level as these other students. But, I mean, I also have, like, this language that I have to speak of at, at home. So, like, it kind of can get difficult, you know, like, you're mixing up these two languages. Um, so, I remember being it for being in it for a while. I know I, like... I think it I'm not sure exactly what year I ended mm-hmm. up like being t- able to pass through it but it was maybe like third or fourth grade um 
but I remember like for sure by fifth grade, like I I lo- no longer had to um, uh, like be part of it. Uh, like you mentioned too, like the accents, you know, like I feel like, you know, like I don't have as much as, of an accent as I've heard others. And I think it was because of that, like they put me in that and they were like, well, you're going to make, we're going to make sure that you speak the same, like, so th- well, like the same way that these other students are. And so I feel like that's why, like, my accent isn't as as heavy as, like, others. Yeah. Mm. I, I think there's also so much, like, that happens when, when, we're, when people are in those programs because a lot of it feels like, like, if you have an accent, like, you're not, not only not speaking good enough or well enough, but you also kind of feel like having an accent equates to like not being smart or like or not being oh yeah you know oh yeah yeah and i think the older you get the the meaner kids are where it's like oh oh but that kid's eld Mm -hmm. Mm. oh yeah and there's a there's a connotation with that Mm -hmm. right Yeah. yeah yeah i remember like uh like yeah a lot of people would be like oh you have to do the extra reading or like the extra like uh writing and stuff because your english isn't as good and it's like yeah it sucks because it's like bro like you don't know like what i have to go through you know i have to speak spanish at home and now i have to come to school and like only speak english you know it's it's not easy like two languages so no no and also yeah and how intelligent I mean, were we all that we could speak two different languages and not only two languages, but like language equals culture. So we were like balancing two different cultures. Yeah. I mean, really, like you're you're going home to a whole different life mm-hmm. versus like you're like Eric at school and it's Eric in la casa. And, you know, like there's these two. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. you really experience yeah. two different worlds. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. And you're always walking this line. And I think for our parents, they didn't understand that that world because they didn't do that world you know mm-hmm. yeah their stories were so different their identity was already conform, like it was already made up mm-hmm. they already knew who they were and they were people that came from mexico or el salvador or honduras to the united states they weren't like us where it's like well our parents were from there but now we grew up here in, yeah. and schooled here and mm-hmm. indoctrinated here yes and what about your siblings do you ever talk to your siblings or like like what 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 was their experience like? Because they were a little older mm-hmm. than you, so yeah. I'm sure they had a little a bit more memories. Yeah, yeah like yeah. a different experience. Well, from what I remember, um, the one who did struggle. So like like I said, I came young at a young age, you know, and um, my brother is obviously the oldest, and then I have a older sister too, and I like I remember we were all in the program, you know, because like obviously we were speaking Spanish only when we got here. Um, but from what I remember, my brother did test out like a little bit early. Um, the one that did struggle was my sister. Like I remember her, I kind of want to say up until middle school, she was still in that program, you know? Wow. Um, so yeah, like I, I I don't really like speak to them as much about like, uh, about that. But I, from what, from what I remember, like she did have like trouble, like trying to adapt Mm. to that new language. Um, I think for me, what made it easier was that I came at a young age, you know, Mm -hmm. and as a kid, you're observing, like, you absorb all this information and you can retain it, you know, Mm -hmm. but she came at an older age and it's like, she was only speaking Spanish and, um, I guess like they're like, (laughs) Latin households, they're a lot tougher on like the females, I'm not gonna lie, you know, they do have it a little bit harder, 
and yeah one thing they did push on her was that like they only wanted her to speak spanish a lot and uh mm-hmm. and so i think that's what got her like to like always like we'll stay in that program for a bit that it was like rough you know but yeah. um yeah i know they they both had to go through that too yeah and this, um, this like highlights what we were talking about where like siblings have different experiences in the same yeah. household yeah you know yeah exactly yeah. it's crazy you know you would think you know like oh they're you know they come from the same place and like um but yeah we all have different stories you know everybody goes through different um like yeah different things and um it just depends too like uh like i think a lot it has to do with age and um it's it's crazy but like age really i think makes a difference the more younger you are the more information you you can observe Mm. yeah Um, that makes sense so like i think when i was in fifth grade yeah i remember um like my english was already a lot better you know and uh I remember a new student came in and she was from Peru and she had trouble like she ended up going to the same middle school and like I remember like her accent was still there um like in middle school and it was like like always there but I think it's because that you know she came out at like much older age and it's like now she has to speak two languages mm-hmm. but she's been like speaking Spanish for for that long so um yeah I think in a way I kind of did get lucky that I came at a young age um to a point where like a lot of the information did get stuck like if I'm not I'm not gonna lie like my Spanish now it's not the best that I try to speak and I'd be like uh, are you from here or what like what are you? <laughs> yeah you're acting like you're not from Mexico right now <laughs> you become a no sabo kid yeah. like for real though <laughs> Because it's true. I mean, we talk about it, how they, like, stick, like, okay, English, English, English. And then you get to high school, and they're like, well, now you can take this elective. And one of them is Spanish. (laughs) So learn Spanish again. (laughs) Hey, I'm not going to lie. I got a D in Spanish (laughs) in high school. I was like, hey, this is, like, kind of embarrassing because I'm from Mexico. And that was my first language, but I still got a D in that class. But uh, it's because of that, I think, that, like, I was raised where, like, from like kindergarten all the way into high school just make sure you speak uh, english and you've got to speak it properly write it properly to a point where my spanish wasn't the best and then by the time i got to high school and i was taking spanish i'm like i don't remember none of this like this feels all foreign to me right now yeah do you ever feel like it's a ghost tongue like it's like you remember when you could speak it fluently yeah and now it just doesn't come out yeah oh a ghost tongue i like that yeah that's how i've i've always felt i remember i went to mexico for like a month when i was six and mm-hmm. i came back and i was like yo ya no sé inglés you know i remember going in the third grade to mexico and i remember coming back and i sat down in my or we were in class again and i just started crying Wow. so hard and one of my friends was like why and i was like well i just i want to go back to mexico <laughs> oh my god yeah i remember feeling like i want to live in mexico yeah. you know wow. Be- because it was like i don't know maybe we felt identified for the first time like mm-hmm. as a kid but also i do remember like i remember myself being able to speak such fluent spanish and then now it doesn't feel like 
that. Yeah. Even my brain doesn't work like Se that. Traba. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like it starts buffering. You're looking for the word, you know? <laughs> Even me as a Spanish teacher, I'll be like, wait, hold on, kids. My brain literally stopped working right now. Um, I have to go back and forth between both of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't know. And then they're like, miss, how do you say this? I don't know. Look it up and then tell me. Cause <laughs> <laughs> no say. Yeah. Because your brain is like, I mean, like the brain doesn't have a specific area for a different language. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, this part of the brain knows Spanish and this part knows English. It's yeah. like it becomes it. mixed. Mm-hmm. And so there's this um, concept that we learned. It's called translanguaging, where you can speak between languages and the yeah. brain will just reach for whatever word. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it can associate with what you need. Like, you know, like, oh, pues voy a estrenar. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's you know, yeah. but in English, we don't have that word. So we'll say the word in Spanish because it's the word that close, like yes. is closest to what you're trying to say. Hey, that's crazy. Because, you know, have you I do go through that, you know, like it's like I try to speak Spanish and then an English word just like slips out because yes. be, like I'm trying to speak it like as fluent as I can and I'm trying to get my thoughts across, but I don't know the word. So it just comes out in English and I'm mm-hmm. just like. I'm like speaking Spanish right now. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but then I think for so long we tell kids like, oh, that's not correct because you have to know one way and then switch it to the other. But your brain is doing so much more work doing both and doing the Spanglishing. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. It is. it is. Because you just allow yourself to like grab. Okay. Like sometimes I'll forget the word for like washing machine, you know, or mm-hmm. like. You know, or like secadora, like the dryer, you yeah, know, yeah. like and your brain will just say whatever words come first. And mm. and in a world where they only accept monolingualism, it's so hard for people like us yeah. because you don't speak good enough Spanish and you don't speak good enough English. Yeah. yeah. But it's like because I speak both, bro. Like they're mixed. Yeah. You know, the language is mixed in my brain mm-hmm. and it's not my fault. Like, I, but know? there's it's crazy to me because this idea of monolingualism is only big in the united states yeah because if you travel to any other country they're taking other languages from the beginning because they want them to be these global citizens Mm -hmm. so i i I think i was telling you the other day when i traveled to um south korea recently there was this big phenomenon where they would hear me speak english and they'd be like oh my god you could speak english like it was this big thing this like big deal that you're able to speak english and it's like yeah but i also speak spanish (laughs) And I can also do, you know, but English is such a like crazy concept for a lot of countries where it's like, oh, but speaking English is super cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because it's such a colonizer language for it so really many is. countries. Mm-hmm. Yep. When I went to Mexico, my cousin was like, oh, this is my friend. Like he saw him randomly on the street. And I was like, oh, la como estas? And then he was like, tu eres de los Estados Unidos, huh? And I was like, and he was like can i practice my english with you you know and then like was wow. practicing his english because yeah. he like they have like a test called the toefl the t-o-e-f-l uh-huh. right to, to like um in other countries where it's like that test is an english proficiency test and if yeah. you pass it in those countries you can then teach english wow and so like he was like oh hi you pass el toefl yeah este pero necesito practicar mi inglés like puedes practicarlo conmigo and i was like yeah okay i mean for us it feels like we're being colonized with this language and for other people, like for other places in the world, when it's a, a, their second language, it's like, oh, I need to learn English so I can, so I can succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, it really be like that, you know, mm-hmm. so many other countries like want to learn English. And for that reason, you know, they see it as a big, like primary language when it's like, 
yeah like you said it's almost like a colonized yeah, like, like language you if know? you only knew that they're killing our cultures uh-huh. here in schools to yeah. do that yeah exactly yeah that's mm-hmm. crazy and yeah. it goes back to this idea of like residential schools and like how they used to put native americans and it was like kill the kill the indian and you save the man and like that's what their literal ideology was when it came to residential schools where they put like a bunch of native americans in schools but like really i mean putting small brown children in like mexican honduran like salvadoran all these children from different cultures in these white american schools right teaching them standard english yeah you know how much different is that how different is that from a residential school Mm -hmm. you're still killing the culture you're still killing their language they can't like you're then they go they're going home they can't communicate with their families you know you can't you're calling your grandma on the phone and you can't talk to her because she doesn't know english you know dang that's crazy you don't have the words anymore for Mm. for what you're feeling for what you're thinking that's crazy you bring that up because you're it's it's so true that like like i'm over here like explaining my side which is like i'm coming from mexico and and like um like uh, the spanish language and stuff but you know a lot of people in the u.s go through the same thing like you just brought up like the indian indians and stuff like that um and I'm sure, like other languages, that like people are, um, are like end up end up having to like forget because they w- have to learn English because you're here, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Which I- it sucks, you know, because like a language is a big part of your culture too, and so in a way you you are giving up like a part of your culture. Yeah, you you do. Yeah, to assimilate to the United States, mm-hmm. and I think one of the narratives is like. I think because the dominant narrative that we're trying to like counter argue, right, is this idea that um, undocumented youth <laughs> steal this, like, are, are taking opportunities away in terms of education. But they never say this part where it's like they, they come here and they, they become American. Mm-hmm. Like you, you lose part of that culture in order to assimilate and become American. But I think you mentioned it a little bit, and maybe you want to talk more about it in the podcast, where it's like, I'm not good enough for one, but also not good enough for the other. Yeah, it's it's true. Like um, like you said, they, w- they want us to, like, be, like, Americanized and stuff. And, like, I feel like a part of me has, like, forgotten that big, like, a big part of my Mexican culture and stuff that I know if I were to ever go back, they would look at me like, you're not from here even though i was born there they would for sure be like dude you're not from here like you don't belong here you know and i feel the same way here though it's like i'm not born here and like i've spent 23 years here so in a way it feels like i've i've grown up here you know this is where like i spent most of my time like here and in a way i feel like this is my home but in a way like the government doesn't accept that um, there's a lot of people that like don't I have like so many opportunities like that are missed because I'm not from here and and so that also also puts me in that situation of like nah I'm not from here so it's like I'm not from Mexico but I'm also from like not uh, the U.S. so it's like so then what am I you know Where do I belong? Mm-hmm. yeah that's so true well that that kind of like what you said like where opportunities are missed like um I kind of want to talk about like when did you know that you're immigration mm, status yeah. was going to affect your future actually i remember this one clearly so um it was in middle school and like you know i'm still going through like 
Ooh. like school and stuff and i'm thinking like i'm like like i said i've already been from kindergarten to middle school yeah and so in a way i think like i belong i'm like oh i'm from here you know and then that's when like barack obama had gotten um uh, elected as president mm-hmm. and so our school was gonna do a field trip to washington that. yeah, yeah. <gasps> and they were like oh like we're gonna take all of the sixth graders and no. we're gonna have like a yeah a whole weekend over there and see the inauguration in person and i was like oh heck yeah i want to be part of that but like then like i i went home and i told my parents i'm like oh like they're gonna go and like i would want to go and they're like nah you can't go dude and i was like why and then they're like because like you're not gonna be able to fly you know and i was like what does that mean you know and they're like yeah you're not you're like there's it's a risk doing that you know like yeah you're a kid and stuff but because you're not from this country like it's gonna be hard for you to fly and so i didn't end up going and like i look back and i'm like dang like that like made me realize like oh shit like so if i can't even do this which is part of the school then like what else am i gonna be like uh, missing out on you know and i think that's when like i started to realize like it was also in high school where i started to realize like damn like what if like i wanted to like continue school after high school like college you know you know everybody talks about it and so like uh i was like am i gonna like be miss like uh, miss that opportunity too you know because Mm -hmm. i'm not from here um and like my my brother uh which he's older than me he was in high school when he was like when that happened and he was getting ready to go to college so then i was like so then like how is he gonna get through it you know and like over the years california has gotten better as far as like helping undocumented students and like yeah. um trying to like yeah like do mm-hmm. like what's best for like what, what we call now the dreamers you know yeah um but yeah when my brother started college like he didn't have any of that help and most of like no all of the tuition was paid through by my parents like out of pocket and um i i, I like i said i look back and i'm like man my parents did a lot for us because that's one thing they wanted they were like well in order to make it in this country like the one thing that you're gonna need is uh, education Education. and Mm -hmm. so they were like we're gonna like do everything in our power to make sure that like all all you three get schooling and um Mm. yeah like and that's three kids that they had to put through college yeah yeah because when you say like my parents did you know like my parents got us through college they paid for all the tuition tuition one is expensive but i imagine it was like they were working their ass off you know like saying that statement is not an easy statement to say yeah i'm telling you like uh it was like countless nights of just them working working and like you know i feel like now like a lot of other times it's like one parent is doing most of the work and one is like at home taking care of the kids and stuff now for them it was like both of them um they were always working um and did they have their business already no at that time no Mm. um it was um, it was only after like i think around the time my sister started going to um school that like that they ended up making well like having their own company um and then like when by the time i got to school like i felt fortunate enough to like uh like uh get all the help that i needed like and it was by like the government too like um by then they had all these laws already like had been passed the dream act um and uh like all this help was now like available to students that were dreamers and so 
I ended up doing like my schooling and like yeah. having to pay minimum for it too. Mm. So when did when did the dream act, like how old were you when the dream act yeah. passed? I think I was in high school. Okay. Yeah. Oh. At like 2012 yeah. or something yeah. like that. No, it was mm-hmm. 2012. It was when Obama was still mm-hmm. in yeah. as president. Do you like d- can you explain a little bit about what being a dreamer is and like and um what the application process was like and like what was that yeah, whole that, thing? Yeah, that was my question. Like, how, how was applying to colleges for you? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so the thing is, like, I think um, there's two things that, like, got passed around that era, which was one was the DREAM Act, and then the other thing was DACA, which people, like, I think tend to, like, confuse both mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. But they're yeah. totally different things. So the DREAM Act was based on, like, um, schooling and making sure that students that were not born in the u.s could pay uh in-state tuition because if people wanted to go to college uh before the dream act they had to pay out-of-state tuition if you were not from here so your parents had to still pay out-of-state tuition and we got like it was it was like fortunate enough like that that i think it was a year before or that same year that my brother was going to go to college that that dream act passed oh Oh my my god yeah Yeah. oh my god (sighs) It was, yeah, we, I, I, like, uh, it's, you know, it's crazy, but we but got it, so lucky with that. Even yeah. then, it's still, even, like, I don't know what college your brother went to. Um, uh, Cal State LA. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Even then, it's still 6K a year. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a 6K, like, a... In-state, yeah. In-state. And the thing is, too, that, like, back then, Cal State LA was a quarter system. So, the payments were, like, yeah, every oh four, like, God. every, like, eight weeks. Oh, Instead my of, like, a God. semester, you know? No, nah, it was, like, every eight weeks, and it's, like... Yeah, we're like I remember my brother would be like, "Oh, it's time to pay for school," and it was like two thousand something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I don't know if your parents rent or or own, but like we're in, we live in Los Angeles, yeah, in Southern it's California. Expensive, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they were paying like, oh, we'll pay like our little mortgage. Like yeah. no, it's <laughs> you know, yeah, that on but. top of everything they have to pay for. Yeah, and they're also it's a family of five, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah that's a big family mm-hmm. yeah so th- that's why i'm saying that like the hard work like that like because i feel like i am a hard worker um whatever like i put myself into like i, I try to give it a hundred and it's because of that like you really are influenced by the people that you're you surround yourself with and i mean i, I was like always around my parents and i saw what they did so um like yeah I, a lot of the hard work that like i i put in it's because of what i saw them do um because like you said you know imagine five kids that you have to feed and provide rent for and like all this other stuff so yeah yeah. that's a lot so so when you went you were in high school when you applied for daca because daca what is daca okay and then so that was the dream act it was like based on like trying to help people pay for um for school okay. um so that they don't have to pay like out-of-state tuition and then right. it was also like because before then if you were like a undocumented student you did not get any financial aid but with the dream act they were able to like uh give you a little bit mm. too from it now and then daca was or like is um a temporary social security number so that you can work so it's oh like okay. a, a way f- for people to work if you're not from here God. And the thing is, like, you have to renew it every two years, and you have to pay this fee. So, like, um, I think there, like a big discussion that was like happening recently in the past few years is that like, it feels like whoever is part of the DACA program, they feel like 
like a Netflix subscription, you know? You have mm. to pay every two years these five hundred dollars and like for wow. what? For and then so they that get I can you get to work. Yeah. Exactly, you know, and then So I, I can work to pay taxes. Because <laughs> 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 what I mean I would assume that it was like you you get this and then it's working towards getting a permanent residence, you know? Right. And that's what a lot of people have been discussing that it's like imagine I'm not sure when DACA passed, but it's been more than five years. And imagine having to pay like five years, like of just like every two years having to pay those 500. And it's like I'm paying it and I'm not seeing like any progression towards like me actually becoming a citizen right. or anything like that. It just feels like I'm paying and I'm paying and like, like how much more do I have to prove? Right. That I'm being a citizen, that I'm a citizen, that I want to work here, that I'm paying my taxes. Damn. Yeah, it's crazy. And, like, the thing is, like, for me, um, I wasn't able to apply for DACA just because when I tried to do it, that's when Trump took office and, like, he stopped the program. So I applied and, like, it didn't get, well, it's still, like, right now, I don't know, it's, like, in limbo, I guess, because it's, like, well, they accepted my application, but it's in pause. Like, they're not denying it or they're not accepting it. And so it's just, it's just sitting there. And it's been, like, two years, so. I'm still like waiting on it. And you paid for it already? Yep. <gasps> so then what ha- like what? Yeah, exactly, you know. So it's like cuz they're literally crazy. like putting your life on pause. Yeah, it really is. You know, for a while I was like so that's the thing I've learned not to do like try to like look forward and make like plans and be like like set on those plans. Like always have a backup, you know? Like for my plan, well, my plan was like, oh well, I'm going to finish school. And by then, I'm already have my um, DACA. my DACA, and then I'll be able to find like any like job that I want, you know. But then that happened, and I was like, like shit, how am I gonna get a job now? Like you know, it's gonna be like harder than I thought. Um, so I was like stressed out for a bit because I was like, I still want to finish school, but well, like, how am I gonna find a like a job? You know, especially doing something that I was studying for, you know, because I feel like that ends up happening where like. People go to school, they get a degree, and then they get a job that has nothing to do with that degree. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to do that. Like, I was like, I spent so much time in school doing this. Like, I want to be doing this for a living, you know? And um, I guess, like, for me, too, it was, like, determination. I was like, all right, so that didn't work, but that's not going to stop me from, like, trying to pursue something that I want. And, uh, yeah, I feel fortunate that, like, I was able to find a few jobs that, like, revolve around music which is what i I graduated in i was gonna say what did you (laughs) say (laughs) (laughs) yeah well okay so you graduate high school and then you went to el camino Mm -hmm. so el camino college is a local community college yeah um so you went straight to el camino yeah and so my brother went from high school straight to cal state la and um in in a way when i was in high school i was like i would want to do that you know like go straight to um to to a university four-year university and finish in four years but i saw how much work like my parents had done and how much it cost Mm. that i was like you know what i think it would make sense if i went to el camino Mm. which is a community college and it's going to be cheaper you know yeah Yeah. um so that was one of the reasons but the other reason was like at that time they didn't have daca yet and i was like well if i finish in four years then like what am i gonna do you know so, like, I kind of just wanted to wait it out still. And uh, I feel very, like, lucky that I found El Camino because 
like I had heard so many bad things about it. Like people yeah. were like, oh, you go to El Camino. <laughs> oh, oh, what? El Camino. But I got a lot of my education from that school. Yes. And like I learned a lot. So I'm like, that's what I hear it. a lot about uh, students that go into community colleges before they transfer. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you go directly into a four year, it becomes such a big part of your identity. Yes. Where you don't do anything else. And without community or like yeah. community colleges in general, you like learn more than just being a student. Oh, yes. Sure. Like oh you still have a life. God. You still yeah. have, you know. I mean, I think I look back and I feel like El Camino was like the time of my fucking life. <laughs> for real, for real. I mean, the connections you build. Because mm-hmm. my brother went and he did, he ended up staying longer. He did five years at the university. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look back and I'm like, I did six years at El Camino and like, I don't regret any of them because I built so many like connections, mm. so many friends and the teachers there were just amazing. Like, the quality of teachers that you get yeah. at a community college, it's amazing because those are the teachers that want to be teaching. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. They're not like working towards some like tenure or just like they're exactly. they literally oh, want yeah. to be teachers. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I went to UC Davis mm-hmm. for my undergrad and I had so many teachers like that where it's like, well, I'm just working because I'm doing they're paying for my research. Right. So I yeah. just need to be here for a semester and then I get my research paid for. No. Li- oh, my God. Exactly. That, that's. We did not have that experience. We had like all of our music teachers were doctorates from USC. Wow. Remember? I yeah. mean, Dr. Nashef, Dr. Schultz, uh, Dr. Doyle. And imagine, <laughs> imagine it's like Dr. Her, Dr. Moran, all of them. But it, like you said, you know, they're all doctors. And like with a doctor, you would expect them to have like a high paying job and like mm-hmm. at yeah. a university and stuff. But no, they chose to be at a community college because... I, I think at a community college it's where you you can spark that like um like uh how do you how do you say like you can spark something in students where yes. it, w- it motivates them more to actually want to pursue yeah. something you know and we built such a huge community oh yeah and we built community with our teachers mm-hmm. not right. ju- with our professors like not just it wasn't i mean yes us as students we were close i mean yeah, yeah. We're here. We all met. We <laughs> met through El Camino, through being in choir, through being in the classes. But I remember. Remember when we went to go with uh, when Dr. Schultz had his brewery, and then we all went there and we were yeah. all drinking with Dr. Schultz. And like, I got. I remember being like buzzed as hell and talking to him and being like, Dr. Schultz, like this is so sick, you know. And he was like, Thank you. He's <laughs> <laughs> like from the Midwest. <laughs> Dr. Schultz, yeah, or like Dr. Nasha. Yeah. So w- we were in this choir and it was, we were like in the premium choir, like yeah. cream of the yeah. crop. Oh, and ooh. yeah, it, mm-hmm. it was, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that hard to get in. <laughs> <laughs> but I got in and I was doing piano at that time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she needed singers. <laughs> okay. Okay. But she would take us places, which I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about this. Cause I remember last, last week we were talking about this, but we got to go to every year. There was a different convention in the fall. Mm-hmm. So there was like, a um, we one year we go to San Francisco and the next year you go to San Diego. Yeah. San Francisco, yeah. San Diego. And I remember when we went to San Francisco, we all got on a plane and then you met us there. Yeah. Because you the, took the bus. Mm-hmm. And w- w- that one Damn. of the reasons was like, because, you know, like to fly within the um, the U.S., you have to have either like a passport or like a, a photo ID, you know, yeah. like your ID or a driver's license. But number one, I can't get an ID from california because i don't have a social and you need one you know and then 
for a long time actually you couldn't even get a driver's license yeah so like my parents were driving at that risk of like yeah. yes. pulled over. Oh, all of our parents right? yeah. yeah yeah and so like yeah for a while i couldn't i i did not <laughs> learn how to drive until i was like 26 for that reason because my parents did not want me to touch a car they were like nah if you get pulled over dude like that's a risk that we're not willing to take you know mm. and so yeah for a while i couldn't drive and then eventually they passed the law where it's like okay if you're undocumented or if you're not from this um from this country you can still get a driver's license but it's only in california they only mm-hmm. have that california i think other states actually have it but not every state in, in no. the u.s has this law and um the time that we went to san francisco i didn't have a driver's license so i was not going to be able to fly and then i was like well i could take the bus and so i ended up having to take a bus which is like six hours i do i remember that and i remember on our last day there we like we were walking around and then you were like oh well i gotta go catch my bus (laughs) and didn't it get delayed and stuff yeah it got delayed by like an hour and a half i remember that and And i was like man i should have just went over there (laughs) 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 and and that's crazy but when we went to new york you didn't go no Actually, I'm her assistant now. So that's like one of my jobs that I do now. Like I became her assistant. You so became Jennifer? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so Jennifer was the other assistant. And oh, like got she it. Ended okay. Up, she was there for a while. She was there for Damn. a while. She was really, she was a character. She was, she was, but she ended up like wanting to move. I think she's in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere she got like married and was like, mm-hmm. peace out. Oh, yeah. For her. So yeah. Dr. Nashif was looking for a new assistant and I was like, I'll see if I can do it. And um, yeah, she was, she has me as her assistant right now. That's um, awesome. And no, I wasn't able to go to New York, but she's actually going to do it again next year. <gasps> and I'm, I'm going to go for that <gasps> one for sure. That's oh amazing. God, that is amazing. Yeah, I'm excited. Cause it's like, it kind of did suck, you know, like, um, cause it's like you mentioned, we were all like a group of friends that like, we really built this community. Um, and like a lot of them ended up going to New York to sing in uh, what's called the uh, Carnegie Hall, which is a very big, wow, like, very, very big famous, famous. Yeah, yeah, went to fucking Carnegie Hall. Yeah, yeah, the whole group. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I remember that. And the thing about that teacher, that professor, is that es que hay veces que se pasa, and like <laughs> she'll put, a, she'll like air out people's business. No, she's old. Okay, mm-hmm. but Did she, she would, she her business yes, dude, she would be like, well. All right, I need everybody's money. But Eric's. But Eric, I know. <laughs> I remember, no. Remember when she would be like that? When she would yeah, say, yeah. like, I wish you could go with this, Eric. Yeah. But she would say it in front of the whole, like, 16 people. Bruh. Yeah. It would be like, <laughs> No, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Do you remember? She's got, she's gotten better at it, though. Okay. okay. She, she realized it. I think after the pandemic, what, like, when it ended up happening was, like, we were so, like, uh, detached from, like, that connection that you need if you're making music. Yeah. You know, you want it to be in person. And uh, I think she felt that. So, like, coming back, she, like, was like, well, I want to try to do everything I can to make sure I keep these students. Because the enrollment when, the like, when they started letting people back into classes was very small, especially her choir. Like, I think the first semester they were in person was around, like, 10 people. Wow. Or, or less, I'm not sure. And so she realized, you know, like, dang, like, I want to, like, maintain, like, these students. So, like, she's been working on, like, getting better at that, like, trying to make sure that mm-hmm. um, That's awesome. she doesn't offend people or, like, you know, put people's business out there. Like, she, yeah, she, she's gotten a lot better at it. Yeah, That's awesome. I'm glad. Yeah. And it's crazy because, like, now I get to see, like, this side of um, 
of what she does, man, she puts in so much work. Like that, I'm like, the thing is too. She she's uh, she's also an immigrant, and like, she she came um like in, uh, like legally, you know, like she mm. her parents like did all the paperwork, and like um she uh, eventually was able to like get a visa and like yeah. get citizenship, but she's technically an immigrant too, and and she kind of has like um that that work ethic too, and like I see it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh wow, like um. Respect, yeah, yeah. respect for sure, yeah. and and like she didn't understand my situation, and like I eventually told her, and like she was like more open about it, and and uh, yeah, now she like knows more about it, and she, it, I think it was mind blowing for her that like I was like, well, I can't do this because of that, and then she was like, wow, like I didn't know that, and so like she's she's willing to hear hear you out, and I that's think that's awesome. what I, I admire about her. Yeah, she she's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. Do you, so you went in and you studied music and then when did you graduate? Like, what was that process like? Yeah. So I graduated high school in 2013 and I mean, I took, um, marching band in middle school and I was doing (laughs) saxophone. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, honestly, I think it was a teacher. A lot had to do with the teacher. He was really cool. And, um, I, I don't know. I just like the way he taught. And then from that moment, I was like, I think I want to be doing like music. Like I want to be doing something like that, you know, teaching. And uh, in high school, like they didn't have a marching band or like a band program. So like I wasn't able to continue my saxophone playing. So I kind of mm-hmm. like gave it up. And then their music program wasn't that good either. You know, they only had like a few classes that involved music. Like yeah. one was like beginner guitar and stuff like that and so for high school like i didn't do as much music as i wish i I could so when i went into like college i was like nah you know what like i'm i want i want to do music for sure Mm. and um i remember telling my parents actually when they kept asking me like what do you want to do and i was like well i want to do music like i'm not sure yet like but i wanted to like involve music and so i started taking all these like beginner classes beginning piano beginning guitar like I pretty much took all the classes at El Camino <laughs> that had to do with music, <laughs> like legit. But like I said, I got most of my training there. Um, I spent six years there, and then when I transferred, I was like already like a good musician, yeah. and um, I was able to finish my uh, degree in music education in two years. Wow! Yeah. And that is hard. Wow. Yeah, really that is, is hard know? because the thing about like the difference between a degree in general music, right. music performance and music right. education is that music education majors, one, they have to get to advanced piano. So you have to be like solid at piano, which you had first were mm-hmm. majoring in piano. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the reason why I chose piano was that like I already knew I was like, well, if I'm going to do music, the number one instrument that you need to know would be a piano, you know. So I was like, I'm going to just do piano. Yeah. And so yeah, I started doing piano. And everybody has to learn piano. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like the basis. So, I mean, he he was piano, but like if you played saxophone, if you played the drums, if you were a vocalist or uh-huh. you want to play guitar, yeah. everybody took piano. Yep. Everybody oh. has to take piano. So you ask any musician that's gone to school to piano. play the piano, they, they could they could they could figure it out yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll do a little something yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah but then in music right. education then they have to take all of the pedagogy classes for every in every type of instrument so strings so like violins oh, cellos everything then yeah. woodwinds so it'll be like um the flute the yeah. clarinet 
the saxophone and then it'll be percussion it'll be like drums it'll be like the marimba it'll be uh-huh. all of the different percussion instruments and then you have to yeah. do voice pedagogy and then you have to do like, like guitar pedagogy right. you have to get to advanced piano you have to take and then you have to wow. take the pedagogy classes on how to teach music yeah it's fucked wow oh and brass too you have to learn yeah. how to play the trombone the trumpet all of those fucking classes and so then i would remember because me and eric worked at this job together yeah where we taught music <laughs> oh my and we'll talk about that Yo. too <laughs> you gotta air out the cheese man <laughs> <laughs> but he, we would be walk. i'd be like walking in and going into my little practice room and then i would just see eric like playing the trumpet and then the next day it'd be like playing violin and then the next day like the flute you know yeah, yeah. yeah. and i chose wow. not to do music education because i wanted to be out in two years yeah and i literally i remember talking to the people there and they were like no you you can't graduate in two years like it takes four years and i was like "Mm, no and i was also working right and then um what else uh i remember walking into my brass pedagogy class and the teacher was like yeah we get pink slipped every year wow every year Uh, so many of my friends and i get pink slipped which pink slipped means they tell you that you may not be coming back yeah 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 and so the fact that you finished that in two years that's yeah. amazing and wait did you transfer to dominguez hills no no calcetter late calcetter late too okay mm-hmm. wow so wow. actually when i was doing uh el camino like like i said i want i wanted to do something with music and then for a while i was like you know what i want to do like education and then like that's what i kept telling my parents well oh i'm gonna do music education and like they they saw me play piano and so they're like oh he's doing piano you know and then eventually I switched <laughs> into voice because, like, I took a voice class and I really liked it. Um, and I was al- also in choir. And then I was like, wait, actually, I kind of I kind of like the voice stuff, too. And then, like, I take another voice class and then the teacher, like, pulled me to the side. And he's like, so at El Camino, well, like, most music schools have this program called the Applied Program, which is, like, if you're a music major, you uh-huh. you're in the program, and then you get one-on-one lessons, and then um, in your in your instrument, and then like that's part of the program. And uh, he told me he's like, "Have you like considered being in the applied program here? Like, I think you could do it for voice." And I was like, "I'm in it already, but for piano." And so <laughs> I was like, "But I do like to sing." So eventually, I did switch, but I didn't tell my parents because I was scared. I'm not gonna lie, because I don't know. For me, like. Because it's hard being a music musician, you know, especially right. in L.A. And the fact that they were letting me be a music major was already like, OK. Yeah. You know, like that, that's already <laughs> rough. And like, they're like, well, what you going to do with that? You know, like, yes. Right. So, so it's like be a doctor, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> literally you know? be a lawyer. Yeah. But I mean, like they did tell me that, like, no matter what, they were going to support me. And and like I was playing yeah. piano. And so they saw that and they're like, OK, he's doing piano. He's actually doing something, you know. Mm-hmm. But w- when I switched to voice, I didn't want to tell them because I I felt like, like as a singer, I didn't I wasn't gonna have opportunities, you know, and so if I were to tell them like, well, I'm doing voice, so we're gonna hit me with like something like, well, well what are you gonna do with that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so like for a while, I didn't I didn't tell them, um, but yeah, I ended up switching to voice and like, I was doing pretty good, and then actually, the the way they found out was. Um, they have musicals here at at El Camino every year and like uh I auditioned for one called In the Heights and uh-huh. I got in and I got in as a the Pirawa guy which that role was so fun to play. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen In the Heights, I uh, yeah, I would say highly recommend it. It's such a good one. Um but yeah, like 
number one it gave me like more confidence in myself as a musician and as a vocalist yeah but it also was like able to like showcase to my parents like oh like i actually enjoyed doing this and yeah they were like mind blown when they went to go see it they're like what the like we didn't know you could do that and (laughs) so from then on i was like you know what yeah i want to do singing instead of piano and like these they're like like i said they've always been supportive so they were okay with it and And the style of of singing that you did is classical right Mm -hmm. classical Uh and broadway yeah which is hard as heck Yes, I need to hear some of this after, <laughs> after the <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, yeah, uh, and, and I'm not gonna lie. It was uh, actually when I wanted to transfer, I wanted to do vocal performance, and I was like, nah, like I want to do performance. Like after the in the height stuff, I realized like I like being on stage too, and like performing as a singer. Um, and I applied at Northridge, and they accepted me for it. And I applied at I only applied to two schools, Northridge and. Uh, Cal State LA and then Cal State LA actually like they were like well we see the potential but we don't think you'd finish in two years it'd probably take more if you want to do performance and they were like but and at that time I was already teaching like uh, music lessons and they were like well you have experience teaching why not just do education and I was like yeah you know and they're like and you could finish it in two years we think you could and so I was like all right then so yeah, I ended up doing uh, education, um, but, like, I don't know. I grew to, like, both. I love teaching, mm-hmm. and I also love performing. So, like, in a way, I kind of still have, like, both best of both worlds because um, one of the jobs that I do is teaching at yeah. a music store. And then another, like, little side gig that I do is I, ching- I sing for a church. And so wow. I get to do that. And then, like, once in a while, like, I'll do, like, little side gigs. So uh, right now I'm also singing with uh, JMNS, which is our Dr. Nashev's our, our our director. She has her own like little semi-professional choir, and I'm also singing in that. And so like yeah, I'm right tune this piano. is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, like I said, like I think a lot of has to do with like my parents having like that work ethic, and um, for me it's always been like that determination. I'm like. If I put myself, like, to do something, I know, like, I'm going to finish it. I'm yeah. I'm going to try, to like, everything I can to make sure it gets done, you know? Yeah. And when you were in college, like, you were getting, you had mentioned earlier that you got, like, some scholarships and things to help pay mm-hmm. for your tuition Yeah, that's that's one thing, too, that I feel so, like, blessed and, like, luckily, like, I didn't have to take out any loans or anything, um... And my parents didn't have to pay for much. They they did help me out, but like I said, at the, by the time that I got into school, like the Dream Act was already like passed, and like there was more like laws helping students mm. who were undocumented, um, like pay for school. And um, yeah, I feel luckily that, or like lucky that when I transferred, like I got a scholarship from El Camino, yeah. and then a, sc- a scholarship from um, Cal State LA. And then on top of that, the Dream Act was also giving me money to pay for school, and so, yeah, I paid. Well, like it, my school got paid, so like I graduated, and I d- I didn't owe anything to the school. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. That is amazing, mm-hmm. and that's that so rare. It yeah, is. yeah, I know friends now that like still are like, oh, I graduated a few years ago, and I me. still have to pay. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing too. I feel lucky that like. I mean, the scholarships, like, really did help. 
but also like i think california has gotten a lot better at like trying to like um help out students who like you know like because in a way like imagine i did so many years of schooling here and for like me to like pay out of state tuition like they they realized something was wrong you know and mm, they were like yeah mm-hmm. you know it looks like these kids actually want to do school and like actually want to go further so let's try to do something for them and um, i think you bring up a great point and i haven't researched it but now i'm interested in like how is it in other states because i think we're lucky that in california we have a very diverse population yeah. and we're pretty i guess like liberal you can say or more accepting of of diversity Mm -hmm. so i can't imagine how it's like for immigrant or children or undocumented youth in states that aren't so open yeah yeah i i feel the same like i feel like yeah a lot of a lot of like i said that dream act only is like part of california so there's states out there that if you're undocumented, then you're gonna have to be paying out of state tuition. And wait, hold on. The Dream Act is only in California. Yeah, right. The California Dream no, Act. No, that makes sense. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I didn't even. I think they passed it in like other states now too, but like California it was started, like the first yeah, to, that makes sense. to pass that law. Wow, Fuck. that's pretty revolutionary of our state. Hey, shout out California. <laughs> <laughs> No, for real. But that's still so heavy. It's so heavy. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, like, you would think, I think we live in this, like, California's pretty good in that way, but I can't imagine living in another state where it's not not available. Yeah. I mean, like, in a way, I still, like, have, like, um, there's fear that I live with, you know? Like, Like, you know, I could just like one day get deported and i won't be here and i mean i still have that in the back of my head and i try not to let it get to me as much but i can't imagine like living in other states where like it's more strict you know so um yeah being in california kind of does help that the fact that we're like like you said where it's more liberal you know they're more accepting uh, as far as like um like cultures too you know like they try to like be more open about it um yeah like california is like pretty like chill place to be if if you're like um undocumented i feel like you know they still like have work to do and like it it could always be better you know but Mm -hmm. i mean for the most part they're doing pretty good yeah that is so true how and i guess i another question i have for you is like have there ever been times when you have had to stay in certain situations because of your fear of being undocumented or like there you didn't have other opportunities that you could take up yeah i mean i think the biggest one is like work like Mm. i would have loved to like be teaching like in a classroom you know like a choir like even a band like i'll do the work you know like yeah but because of like my situation it's hard for me to get something like that um and there's been opportunities that have gone missed because of that Mm -hmm. like it's like they're like oh yeah you qualify and then they're like oh but you don't have a social so you you can't work here um so like i i've learned to like try to like make the best of what i can or like what i have um so like she mentioned we worked at this spot uh uh-huh it's funny like close by it was a music store it's a music store and like they so 
the way I'm able to work is through what's called like the ITIN number. Mm-hmm. So it's not a yeah. social security number. It's still like um, tax paying number. Yes. But for people who aren't from here, which is it's mind blowing because it's like, oh, you're not from here, but you're still going to pay your taxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <all right. laughs> um, so that's how I'm able to work. And I'm like considered an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. like technically when I get hired for for a job, it's not that like I'm being employed by them. I'm doing my own work and they're just like paying me to do that work for them. And so, yeah, this music store, like, um, they ended up, I, I, I found it cause it's like so close to where I live. It was like a five minute walk. And, uh, I was like, Oh, let me see. And I walked in and at that time, like the lady seemed friendly and like, she was like, Oh yeah. Like, um, we would happy to have you. And like, we're not like, we're not gonna, we're not like considered like a, like an actual like workplace where you're going to be hired as an employee. You would be just an independent contractor. And right. I'm like, that works Perfect. out, you know? Yeah. But and you were in college still, right? And I was still at El Camino, yeah. And so I was like, well, I want to do this for a living too. So like, might as well get the experience right. now. And um, yeah, I was there for like uh two years, I think. Um, but it's a lot of cheese within that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, is this the job? Yes. With that one lady. Yes. So. This place, uh, mind you, I got the job because uh, because oh of yeah. Eric because yeah. they were looking for a vocal teacher, right. mm-hmm. and so he was like, "Well, I know somebody," and then he reached out to me, and I needed a job because it was during the pandemic. Oh and yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this is still pretty recent. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And so we, <laughs> we, <laughs> I think you you had been working there for a while, and now mm-hmm. you were at Cal State LA. Yeah. And I was at Cal State Dominguez, and so we were like, well, I mean, we were we've been. Like buddies for a long time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I call uh, like le digo mi primo, you know, because yeah. yeah. we're both from Mexico yeah. City, you know, uh-huh. like, and so I started working there, and like the first thing they tell you is we cannot pay you if the lesson if the person doesn't come. So wait, so you show up, <laughs> but if no no student shows up, you're not getting paid. Yes, yeah. and a lot what? of yeah, and and the times were thirty minutes or an hour. Mm-hmm. So if your hour lesson didn't show up, you're not getting you paid wasted for that an hour, hour. Mm-hmm. and you're just sitting there because you have a lesson after. Yep. Yeah. And what? if they don't show up, but you still have to sit there because there's another lesson. That's after. bizarre. Yes. Yeah. So we went in, mind you, like students who need money. It's a music job. Perfect. We went in and it was like low. It wasn't like a super professional music store. Yeah. And it was like two Latinos running it. So you're like, you kind of are like, okay, pues. Yeah, you feel for them, you know? Yeah, it's <laughs> mi gente. También, right? you know, necesitan exactly. dinero. So you're willing to kind of like settle. Yeah. Right. I think that's the best word for what really we is. felt. Because honestly, if I'm being honest, like I look back now and like one thing I've learned over like the past year is like uh, understand my self-worth and and like that like don't settle for less you know at that time when i was there i like look back there was so many times where i was like ready to leave right but i didn't want to and one of the reasons was because i was like well like it's gonna be hard for me to find a job because of my situation you know i was like i'm already here like might as well just stay and push through it but i think you just have to like well like for me i've learned that you have to like get past that mindset and realize that you know like you're settling for less right now you you can go on to better things and i mean i feel like i have done that now i'm at, I'm yeah. at a place where like i get treated better i get mm-hmm. more pay um I, I feel like everything is better and and it was because like 
it's funny they fired me and so like <laughs> i feel if they wouldn't have fired me i would have still stayed, stayed there. there wow but no yeah and like mind you that wasn't even like the tip of like that's like the the small the percent of, of the cheese yeah. yeah because the thing was is that i feel like in a way it was illegal what she was doing <laughs> but she would get an initial person who like you walk into the store you're like i want piano lessons right she would sell you this package of four lessons okay so you pay you get four lessons for a hundred dollars so okay. you're paying 25 each lesson and she's gonna set you up with the teacher mm-hmm. right. and that teacher is gonna be your teacher for the next four lessons mind you we're getting paid 20 an hour so okay. for those 30 minutes that you pay 25 dollars for i'm getting like 10 no yeah like 10 bucks yeah, yeah mm-hmm. like 10 bucks for that 30 minutes so after you finish those four sessions, uh-huh. you didn't pay for it anymore. So you could just be like, oh, well, I didn't really like piano, whatever. She would not take them off your schedule. What do you mean? So you you would come in. You're like, oh, I have a I have a lesson with Fulanita, so, right? So. Yeah. yeah. And you're there. You you get there early. You have all your stuff in. You're ready. And then you're waiting. And you're waiting and you're waiting. And... You go out and you're like, where are they? Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. I guess they're not going to come. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. And then it kept happening, kept happening. Yeah. Come to find out. She was calling them like, hey, you have a lesson right now. And they'd be like, but I didn't pay for it. So how how do I have a lesson? Yeah. She was like, no, I just put you on the schedule. And then you just show up and pay for it when you get here. What? Yeah. But she was not communicating that to us. Mm-hmm. She knew that they didn't pay for that lesson. Mm-hmm. And they did a, They were interested or didn't want it. Yeah, but she would still put it on our schedule. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So we would show up to the lesson. There was no lesson. <laughs> That's why they have a reoccurring billing. That's the thing. I don't know if they knew that. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally. <laughs> and so we would be... They would, And also she would not give us breaks. Oh, yeah. So there have been times that I worked from like 2 to 5 with, with a 15-minute break. Yeah. I mean, not two to five, eight to five. Like yeah. there'd be Saturdays where really, and you would have you would get your schedule and you'd be like, oh, I get out at twelve, and then you get there and it's like eight, eleven, and then you check your schedule at eleven and you're there till three, and you're like, okay, and then it's two, and you think you and then you're you're there till back. five, yeah. <gasps> and, I don't think that's legal. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. You know, what? the funny thing is, like, my dad now owns a business and see, like, right, and he hires independent contractors too you uh-huh. know and so he understands that like he's like when i told him that situation he's like bro you like what do you mean you're not getting a break you have to have at least 15 minutes every four hours like what are you doing right. and um the thing i didn't like about like working there was that if you ever brought something up like they would flip it on you and they would be like no well it's your fault and this and that and it's like first of all like I'm just, like, bringing up, like, a situation just to, like, bring it to your attention, you know? I'm not the only one that's going through it. I know the rest of your employees are, too. So why are you trying to, like, flip it on me? Right. And, like, I I said, I've learned to, like, realize that, like, I shouldn't settle for less. Um, It's funny. Like, the schools that I work at now, like, I realize, like, how a business should be ran or Mm -hmm. a music business, you know? Uh. Like, they have, like, reoccurring billing. And if, like, you miss, like, if you want to cancel the lesson, you have to make sure you do it. Because if you don't, that bill is going to, well, like, your card is going to get charged, yeah. you know? And so, like, we're going to get paid for it. And <laughs> same thing, Which too. Which like, is what should happen. Right, you know? Yes. Like, 
if a student doesn't show up, I still get paid for it. You know, so it's like little things like that that like like make make the business better for like the employee, but also for like the school. You know, it yeah. puts a better reputation right. on them. It like makes them look like they're taking it more seriously. Like you know, yeah. Then and for you, it's like money. they're mm-hmm. they're valuing your time. They're valuing your experience. Exactly. You know, like they're valuing you as a musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not just like, oh, well, sorry, <laughs> dude. And the, the worst part, too, was like if they were late, they still got the lesson, the even if it pushed too. you back mm-hmm. 15 minutes. But Bruh. pushing you back 15 minutes goes Pushed into everybody else back. Yeah. yeah. But it also like if you only ha- get a 30 minute break today, you you got a 15. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you work there for nine oh. hours and you got a 15 minute break to get food. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. Part it was bad. I wish I could air this job out and be like, don't work there. <laughs> I left a review on Indeed. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, because you can do that now yeah. as an employee. Yeah, could, yeah. You And I remember when they were looking for people and you had you went on there and you saw my review. Yeah. You were like, that was Annalise. Because <laughs> I was like, they're very nice people, but they have, n- they have no idea how to run a business. Yeah. But that's the thing, too, is that she was, like, una señora de, like, Durango. So she mm-hmm. was, like, she would get you with her, like, stories and, like. Yeah, and, like, like she'd be, like, she'd be, like, oh, I love, like, I love I you guys. Like, yeah. And so I remember, like, when the day that I quit, like, it was because one of my, like, my student came, like, 20 minutes late. And she was, like, okay, well, your lesson's here. And I, I, I don't even remember what I said. I think I just, like, said, uh, I mean, I can't keep my fucking mouth shut, which is my problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I said something like snarky, you know, yeah. I, I, like I was like, I don't even remember what it was, but I said something like, okay, well, you know how it is. Or like mm-hmm. something, something like that. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. And so yeah. I was leaving and she like followed me to my car and was like, and knocked on my window and was just like, why would you say that? Like you hurt my feelings. Like you did, you, you, like, right. you, you think you could tell me how to run my business. Like if you have a problem, like say it to my face. And I was like, all right, I'll say it to your face. You, this, 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 this is like, and, and like I aired it X, out. Y, Z. Yeah. <sighs> and she was like, well, you don't know how to run a business. You don't, you don't tell me. And I'm like, you ask me for what you think you need to do. So I'm letting you know. Yeah. And so I remember like she left and she was like, well, don't tell me what, like how I need to do things and left. And I sat in my car and I, and I like rolled up my window and I was like, I'm quitting. Yeah. I'm not going to deal with this shit. Like, but that's the difference between our experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. Fuck it. I'm going to get a, another exactly job. That's exactly what I was thinking. But uh-huh. it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It was not the same. And that's why you put up with them for I so did. much longer. Yeah. That's and what I'm telling you. That like, like shitty employees, bro. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm glad they did fire me because in a way, like I said, I would have stayed and I'm not going to lie, it was hard for me to get a new job and, like, try to find a new spot because there was places where I was looking and they're like, oh, we're only hiring if you have, like, a social and this Mm. and that. And I'm like, it took about, like, a month and a half until I found something. And, um, I mean, I look back and I'm like, well, at least, like, I finally left that place, you know? Like, I don't have to deal with that. And uh, I don't know. I I look back and, and I'm like, I did learn a lot. As far as, like, my teaching skills and stuff, like, I did yeah. get a lot of experience through them. But I don't, I, d- I think, like, what I went through wasn't, like, worth it in a way. I could have probably got that experience somewhere else. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I look back at the jobs that I have now and I'm like, damn, I feel, like, lucky to, to be at those places. Like, the, man, yeah. one of the bosses there is, like, super chill. Like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, like, this is how it should be, you know? Yeah. Like, he knows what he's doing. Um, 
so yeah i feel i feel lucky to be where where i'm at now and i think that goes to show that this dominant narrative of like oh mm-hmm. they're stealing jobs they're mm-hmm. doing this it's not true mm-hmm. no it like look at how many shitty like like all the struggle that you had to get there and then stay in this shitty ass job and you're because because what so else do you do mm-hmm. yeah. and you're a skilled worker yeah. like being and educated yes and hard worker and good person but still like if if i'm not like if i'm being honest like yeah a lot of the just like the students the parents would tell me like oh like we love how you teach and like yeah like i could tell like how much you enjoy it and like you're really good at it and yeah i would get so many compliments and like i would look and i'm like damn like i'm actually good at this you know mm-hmm. like and i actually enjoy doing it too so the fact that like I was in, in a way, I, I didn't feel appreciated being there, you know, because mm. um, like imagine getting paid 20, 20 an mm. hour and it was not guaranteed that you're going to be working for an hour at times. It was like, well, you, there's only a half an hour lesson right now. So it was like, yeah. So you'd be at the job for nine hours, but you only work five. <laughs> Bro. Rough. Because there would be so many breaks in between. Mm-hmm. But like and and another thing is Kabusan because they know they knew your situation. Yeah. They I knew that he know. was in I let them know, yeah. Mm. And I, like I said, I think one of the reasons I didn't, and I think I might have mentioned it to you while I was there, that I'm like, oh, I don't want to leave because it's going to be hard for me to find a job, like something similar, you know? And like, I mean, like I said, it was yeah. a five-minute like walk, drive to to that place. And like, it, w- it felt convenient too. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it was like, in a way yeah it was like abusive to us and so i'm like i don't think it was worth it but i mean i'm glad i'm out of there now um that that the fact that like you brought up that like you were just like well i'm quitting i'm like that that's crazy that like you know a lot of people have that that ability to just be like you know what i I feel like i'm not feel uh, i don't feel appreciated like i understand my self-worth i can quit and i know i'll be able to find a different job and and uh like yeah like have that income but for me it was like well if i leave well i don't know where i'm gonna go you know and Um, i think that's part of like when you do have because at least for me i'm sitting here and i'm listening to this i'm like fuck i've never had to think about that Mm -hmm. like if i was in a shitty job i'd be like fuck it i'm just gonna find another one yeah because it's it's eat like i don't have to think like damn i don't have papers like i don't have a social security i don't like it's such a eat peace of mind to not have it you know and such a privilege Mm -hmm. and i think at least for me thinking about me being an educator i have children and i have kids who are undocumented now still and it's like how do i help them through that right like 100 percent, yeah and i think like i'm thinking back to everything i've ever applied for Mm -hmm. and like how many times it says i am a a citizen citizen. and i'm like yep right and how easy it is to just yeah. check that box without thinking mm-hmm. about it yeah it's rough you know like i think um like being like when i was at that job i i remember thinking like well i'm still in school like if i were like undocumented i would probably just like quit and go work like even like something simple like at a fast food place or like just make sure that i get the income you know as long as like i finish school and then i'll try to find a job in my career but the fact that like i don't have papers and that it's hard for me to just to even get a job it's like it was rough it, it is and then like i mentioned you know for a month and a half i was like trying to find a spot that like 
would hire me as an independent contractor because a lot were like, mm. no, we need people who have, um, like, uh, who have the social security or who are citizens. Right. And, um, I was like, well, I'm not going to give up though. You know, that's one thing. Like I try not to do, like, just, I put my mind to it. I'm going to try to go for it. Um, but yeah, so like I said, I was able to find two, two music schools that like ended up hiring me. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. And I wish it was it was like that for, for every undocumented youth. Yeah. You know? You yeah. know. Where they like But your story is so inspiring. Yeah. Because it's like one you you have broken every stereotype of what it's like to one Absolutely. be just Latino in general, but to mm-hmm. be in doc- undocumented Latino, like Absolutely. You, you chose a career in the arts, in yeah. the fine arts you know and <laughs> and you are thriving in that career right now and it's it's amazing i, I was telling gary last last our last podcast where it's like dude i'm nowhere near as good as you are like you your dedication and your like perseverance towards mm-hmm. it where i was like i hate this job i'm gonna go I somewhere think, else and did a different job you know I think like for me it's like this idea that even through the uncertainty Mm-hmm. Even through, because I what hits me, and I still keep remembering that you say that is like I don't plan for the future. Yes, but still having that dedication, like, but I I know I'm gonna be a musician, like I know I'm gonna be an artist, and yeah. I know I'm gonna continue to do that somehow. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get it done, you yeah, know, like it, that. <sighs> that really was my mindset, you know. Oof. Like, I didn't know what like my future held, but I knew that it was gonna have to do something with music and i was gonna do everything i could to make sure that happened um like i i know i bring it up a lot but a lot of it does have to do with my parents i feel very lucky to have parents that like showed so much support so much love and have always been there for me you know through the rough times and um i feel like a lot of a lot of people who are undocumented um do have it like a little harder than me i'm not gonna lie um but in a way i feel we are all like hard work like hard workers um like yeah we're we're putting situations where it's like in a way it's like we're thrown in the ocean and it's like learn how to swim like so that you don't drown because you know it's rough out here um like you guys brought up the like the whole privilege of just like well, I'm I'm from here. I know I can find a, a f- h- I can find a way to make a living here. Mm-hmm. But because I'm from here, and I think the the mindset that I, I was always taught as a kid um, through my parents was was that that like, if you want to make a living here in the U.S., you're gonna have to get your education because you're not from here, and because you're not from here, you're gonna have like less opportunities than others. But if you have your education, that that will get you places and. And like I said, they they were like, you know what? Um, we're gonna do everything to make sure that you three um, have that education. Yeah, because I think as Latinos, we already have to work twice as hard to mm-hmm. be considered half as good. Yeah. But now hearing your story, it's like undocumented Latinos have to work five, six, seven times as hard. Yes. Yeah. And they're still, and they still just can't get the job. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Like. I'm not gonna lie, like I feel like I would be like a good like band director or even like a choir teacher or like run a classroom full of students um doing music but and I would love to do it, 
but because of my situation i can't and so i'm stuck teaching like one-on-one private lessons which is still fun i enjoy doing it um i learn a lot from my students um uh but yeah it's like you know i will i would one day want to work in something like that but like i said i i can't look into the future i don't know what it holds but i'm working like i'm making the best of what i have right now yes wow Mm-hmm. that's powerful Eric mm. <laughs> that no it really it, it really is yeah. I feel I, I feel like I I gained so much perspective mm. oh yeah so much perspective Absolutely. from your story and it's crazy to be friends with someone for so long and not know so much right. about them yeah like that's why when like you brought well like you messaged me and you're like oh like we're gonna do this podcast I'm like I would love to do that you know because of that situation I've like I'm friends with so many people that don't understand like the right. situation that i'm in don't understand like or like don't know my background where i've come what i've been through and um yeah i think it, it like blows their mind away they're like dang you have to go through all that yeah, yeah. but because oh, yeah. of it like you know like they're they're so accustomed to just like oh i have everything you know i'm from here and this and that they don't live in that fear and it's easy to forget uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's so easy yeah and and you know one thing i think my mom Whenever I've been at a bad job, she's always told me, like, Tienes papeles. Mm-hmm. Go get another job. It doesn't matter. You have papers. Yeah. Yeah. Go find another job. Yeah. Which is why I have this attitude of, like, no, if I don't like it, I'm leaving. Good. You know, yeah. Yeah. because my mom didn't have the opportunity. Yes. And, and and so many people that I know don't have that opportunity. And I think that's what I get really frustrated with people who are not first generation, who are like from here grew up here their parents are from here and they don't want to get the job they're like oh i'm stuck and i'm like bro you don't know how (laughs) easy you have it Mm. yeah you know oh yeah for sure oh yeah but that's like us being first gen i can't imagine the frustration that you feel because you say like it's frustrating but i know how bad i get (laughs) you know yeah yeah. where it's like i can't imagine you like what you feel you feel yeah I mean, I've learned to be like a like a patient person. Like uh, that's one thing you need as a music educator, I think, to like just have patience, you know. Um, the other thing, too, is like uh, you have to like understand that your way of thinking is going to be different than others. And so like you have to learn to accept yeah. that, um, you know, like, uh, yeah, I'm going through all this, all this and like um, I kind of did have it rough, and but I made it work. But like, you know, the it doesn't take away from the fact that like even people from here like they go through shit too you know yeah Ooh. but i think it's it also like comes down to like how you deal with it and are you willing to push through all that yeah Oof. <laughs> eric that was <laughs> he's just dropping drop after <laughs> mic drop after mic drop bro <laughs> yeah. wow uh, thank you. Yeah, no, thank like, you. Thank you. Thank you for this and like sh- being willing to share your story because it's not easy. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Like, like I said, you know, a lot of my friends don't don't know that side yeah. of me, and um, I think for one reason it's it's because of that. Then I'm like, I know, I know a lot of people go through shit. You know, um, I shouldn't be like put on this pedestal because of what I've been through. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. gonna go through it. You know, but. Yeah, I, I would want to, like, share it, too, because, you know, a lot of people don't talk about it. Um, A lot of people don't understand the situation. And, like, I know I'm not the only one going through this, something like this, you know. Yeah. A lot of people go through it. And I can imagine anyone who's going to listen to this podcast who either has family members or they, they themselves are undocumented. Yes. And mm-hmm. They can see themselves in you. And, 
and maybe some of your students or uh-huh. you know some of our future yeah. students who are undocumented Absolutely. can see the light at the end of the tunnel because you are an example of being undocumented still not having daca and still thriving yes i would say yeah in, in the cards that you were dealt in life absolutely yeah. Yeah. i think it really is that it's like um i'm glad that like you guys brought me here because it's true you know like if you want something like go and get it um no matter the cost like if you really want it then you're gonna go and get it you know um so to anyone that is listening to anyone that like um is watching i would i would say that just you know push through it and you you can get you can get it if you want it amazing thank you thank Thank you you, eric yeah well i mean i think with that that's like the perfect way to close it off you know um yeah so i think you were i think this was like the perfect way to begin this series because we're then gonna have like people who are older people who are younger who live through different um eras in education and yours just i think brings up such a modern but also i think you were at like a very pivotal age in history for sure and i feel that right where it was like and a lot of you were like i got like it was just in time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i it's gonna be interesting to see the the future and then also the past after this actually i'm I'm excited about that because i know there's people who like are younger than me and they're still in this situation but there's people who are like you said are older and like they've also been through like some similar things and um yeah i'm I'm excited to see like what they've been through too you know because like you know this is just my side and there's going to be similarities but there's also going to be differences and i would want to hear those too yeah all right well thank you everybody for tuning in and for watching our podcast and thank you eric for being here yeah thanks for having me this is amazing yeah it was amazing we'll see you guys next time for our next podcast and our next uh special guest and i'm anna i'm gary and i'm eric and we'll see you guys soon (laughs) ready one two three